November 11th, Veterans Day, 2012. This Veterans Day, the XJ Talk Show and XJTalk.com would like to take a moment to recognize the countless men and women currently serving in the United States Armed Forces and all those who have served this country in the past and especially to those who have paid the ultimate price. Thank you for your service and sacrifice. Episode 54, Sunday, November the 11th, 2012. It's that time again. XJ Talk Show is on the air. Uh, okay, so it's a podcast, but you know what I mean. Anyway, here's Tony. And Josh. Hey, folks. Josh has decided to do it again, so he didn't learn his lesson last week, so welcome back, Josh. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. So for you guys that uh, don't know, Josh is now our official uh, co-host of the XJ Talk Show. And uh, you guys, uh, I'm sure everybody knows that uh, this is a podcast that helps support the xjtalkshow.com. Nope, the XJ. See, this is this is where it gets confusing, Josh. And this is where you got to jump in with either a uh, what is it? What was it? Ed McMahon always said, "Yo, yo." Uh, <laughs> I did not yeah, know, I know that. You recently uh, put a couple new uh, URLs out there too, so you, we've got a, a couple new, well, not not websites, but a, a couple new domain names out there for people to go to. But the, um, the xjtalk.com is exactly. where what uh, all this is supporting. Thank you. See, I'm I'm still, uh, you know, I had a nap after installing the uh, the front door on our house. It's the the second time I've installed. A door. The first time I installed the door was about two weeks ago, and that was the back door. So, I'm uh, all these all these website names and stuff is just uh, you know getting too cumbersome for me to keep up with my age-addled brain. Well, I've got I've got a piece of paper here next to me that's got more chicken scratch on it than I could count, and uh, you know I'm I'm not getting up there in in, in uh, quite as many years, but it's getting to the point where I got to start writing stuff down. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, I've, I've been needing to write stuff down for years, and I still refuse to do it. So anyway, uh, tonight we are going to have uh, a uh, episode of um, Electrical and Audio Tips uh, featuring Josh, and also to a interview with uh, Mike Corey, uh, an actual ARRL employee uh, who does emergency communications management for that organization. And uh, I won't go into a lot of detail about uh, the show, the interview, or the uh, ARRL, but basically, because uh, I explained it in the interview at the opening, the ARRL is the American Radio Relay League, which is probably the best known part, uh, best known face 
of uh, amateur radio uh, in the United States, and I think also a, a, quite a bit in the world. But uh, it's definitely the uh, the the primary uh, arm of the uh, amateur radio movement inside the U.S. And they do a lot with the Federal Communications Commission. So I thought that was really cool. I didn't realize that the ARRL had employees, but this this guy works for them. I asked him uh, if they got anything done when the bands are open. <laughs> and he laughed and he says, probably not as much as we should. <laughs> and basically... So he, he's, an actual, he's an actual employee, not a volunteer. Exactly. And wow. yeah, they have about 120 employees. But like I said, I'm not going to go into too much. He, he goes into th- this in the interview. Any anyway, the uh, what I was going to say is the the band open is a uh, an amateur radio uh, term or uh, phrase that is used to say that there is uh, I guess in the CB vernacular it would be there's skip out there let's go work us some 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 skip and uh, basically it just means that there's a, a lot of uh, signals coming in from all over the world and uh, that means that you can. Uh, potentially talk to those people someplace else in the world. So, now you're a you're an amateur ham radio operator, aren't you? I am a ham. Hard to believe, but I am a ham. Um, I got my license when I was 16 years old, and uh, have had uh, that license for uh, gosh 30 something years now, or something. Uh, and uh, not not all that active uh, the entire time when I first got into it. I was more active and. Uh, the bands were open quite a bit. That was uh, at the the peak of a sunspot cycle, which uh, causes uh, a lot more uh, activity on worldwide activity. Uh, more makes the ionosphere more reflective, so that you can hear signals coming from all over the world easier. So, uh, and that comes and goes every eleven years. It goes from being really good to really bad, and and then gradually back to really good. And uh, we have uh, we're in one of those cycles now. Um, it's kind of a sucky cycle this time, which really surprises me. Um, but then again, you know, if it only happens every 11 years, there, you don't have that many times that you can actually experience a sunspot cycle. So um, being in a real good one back in the uh, the mid-70s, I just assumed they were all like that, and that's not the case. So right now the, the bands uh, are kind of spotty as far as how well they uh, are reflecting those signals, and uh, you can hear people. I mean – you can talk to somebody in, around the world uh, on any band at, uh, every day, at least. But it's just not like um, <clears throat> easy pickings where you just listen to all these uh, all these conversations going on and these people from all over the world just so loud. Uh, that's when it's a lot of fun. But anyway, I don't want to go too much down the ham radio world uh, road because uh, that can get quite boring to some folks. Well, um, I won't go into into ham too much, but just really quickly, I uh, I uh, had some personal skip experience myself just in the CB stuff. Most of us got CBs in our rigs, and with the CB in that's in my Cherokee right now, uh, sitting in my driveway, um, this was last summer. I was able to speak with somebody in Redding, California, and for those of you who don't know, I'm just east of Portland, Oregon. So there's um, there's some substantial uh, mileage there uh, that um, that I was getting some bounce off of uh, whatever atmospheric layer there was and and although it was it was spotty it was a pretty weak signal but uh, we were able to un- understand each other for a good five or ten minutes or so before uh, before it ended. You sir have broken the law. I mean, um, <laughs> he claimed he was in Reading. I. <laughs> 
<laughs> you, sir, have broken the law. It is against the FCC rules for CB operators to hold conversations longer than, what is it, 200 miles away, I think is what it was. Is that right? Yep. And uh, it, it is so it's such common practice from uh, back around the same time, around the 70s, whenever uh, CBs were, were very hot, that uh, that is uh, that became so popular and uh, CBs became so popular and people uh, talking uh, around the United States uh, on CBs became so popular, even with uh, uh, large uh, amplifiers, RF power amplifiers, also called linear. At least here in the in Texas, it's called a linear amplifier. <laughs> it has that southern twang to it. Basically, going from your four watts to to a hundred to three hundred to five hundred to a thousand to two thousand uh, watts, and um, uh, there was uh, so much of that going on that the uh, the FCC just kind of gave up and uh, only dealt with the the people that were uh, uh, causing pacemakers to stop. I think. <laughs> Well, I'm definitely uh, not causing any, any interference anyway. I've, I, uh, my CB has not been tweaked with a golden screwdriver, as it were. So I'm, it's, uh, it's bone stock, and this was a, a just a, a happenstance sort of thing, and I doubt it could ever be recreated. Yeah, but no, it happens, uh, especially on uh, 11 meters. It's uh, 11 meters is is very active when it's active and uh, not active most of the time. Uh, you'll notice that during the day is the most uh, is the most common time for there to be skip or um <clears throat> i found out in, in ham radio that there's called uh, uh terminator um dx or i guess in, in cb in vernacular it could be called skip as the uh the the terminator of uh the day and the night is is passing over where you are it causes uh, a special um situation with the ionosphere which helps improve signals so when it's getting dusk outside, you can also uh, see sometimes that there will be uh, signals that weren't there just a few moments ago. So, but generally, yeah. But generally speaking, uh, on on eleven meters, it's a daytime uh, uh, DX. Uh, we call it hams. Call it DX. Uh, uh, the uh, CBers call it skip. Now, there's a lot more CBers on the ham radio since the code requirement was removed. And uh, you may hear some of the CB terms being used on uh, on the ham bands, but there you go. Anyway, enough ham talk, enough skip talk, enough radio talk. Um, let's uh, let's jump over to the, the the thing that I find interesting because it's uh, it's money for uh, xjtalk.com. <laughs> it is uh, Amazon.com. Now, you guys, uh, we have not spoken about the Amazon.com here in a while. And it kind of sits there nice and quiet and does its little thing. And uh, uh, you may have noticed the uh, Amazon.com banners on XJTalk.com. And uh, I know I've posted about it, but I think uh, with this little, uh, this little additional tease, you guys might like, uh, might like going in there and, and clicking on that, uh, that banner. Basically, the deal with Amazon is this. They, uh, they very graciously, I suppose, um, <laughs> they, they agreed to, if you, if you have a, a website and you put up their banner, you have to join their associates program, but if you put up their banner and if somebody clicks on their banner on your site and then it takes them to amazon.com and then they buy something from amazon.com, you as an Amazon associate get a few pennies for each one of those sales. And the really cool thing is is Amazon is actually is actually the one that's paying, not you. 
you pay for the product to say you buy something for 10 bucks. And then, uh, depending on the product, uh, a certain percentage of that sale goes to xjtalk.com if you clicked on the Amazon banner. So <laughs> it's really, it's, you're not paying anything extra. It's, it, you pay the exact same thing and Amazon takes the money and gives a little bit to xjtalk.com. So it actually helps in the running of xjtalk.com. It actually helps in the running of XJ Talk Show. And, uh, you know, if, if things get really good, Josh, I may uh, buy a pizza and have it sent to your house. Just go ahead and sign for it, and I'll, I'll, I'll reimburse you later. Authentic Texas pizza through the United States Postal Service. Well, I can't <laughs> wait to dive into that one. <laughs> Actually, I was just going to call Papa John's and order 20 pizzas and send them to your house. So, oh, yeah. <clears throat> so anyway... Uh, I thought it would be fun to actually, because I have the ability to see what's being purchased when people click through the Amazon.com banner on XJTalk.com. Uh, well, now, Tony, I, this is a family program, so we got to keep this PG-13, I imagine, right? Uh, yeah, well, this is an adult show. I mean, we're going to be family friendly, but yes, it's, a, it's an adult show. But, uh, I, I, but uh, I know some XJ Talk uh, members, and I can only imagine some of the stuff that that might have been purchased. <laughs> well, <laughs> imagine a way. Imagine if you will. Yeah. So anyway, here, here are some of the items I have. And I, I want to make it very clear. I have no idea who's buying this stuff. Uh, unless you come up and raise your hand and say, hey, that's mine. I will have no idea. I can only say, I can only tell what it was that was purchased. And these are things that actually were purchased and delivered. So for example, if if you hear you look forward to this segment on the future shows and you don't hear your item read off, well, it could be that it hasn't been delivered yet or they haven't actually taken the money for the item until they've shipped it. So it may take a couple of weeks for um, for you to actually hear it on the show. And depending on how many we have, we may only find the interesting ones. So if you want to get on the show uh, as far as what you purchased, then <laughs> order something twisted. <laughs> <laughs> twisted or interesting or both anyway so here's the items and i was warning josh about this before the uh, before the actual show uh, <laughs> so josh has an idea what's coming anyway uh so here was a uh, uh something that somebody purchased it's a amazon instant video it's called the killer within and it's in high def Ooh, i don't know i'll have to look that one up killer within so there was a couple of uh, Kindle eBooks that were purchased. Um, okay, <clears throat> kids, leave the room. Okay, you ready? Alice in Genderland: A Crossdresser oh, Comes of Age. <laughs> we're not judging. You know, we're not no, judging. The, we're we're laughing. We're yes, we're laughing with you. So, and and I don't know if this was the same person or not. And I'm only assuming, uh, well, uh, let me just tell you what it is. Uh, this other Kindle, Kindle book is Reloading the 303 British. Now, I'm assuming that some sort of uh, uh, round of ammunition that goes into a British weapon. But after reading about Alice in Genderland, I don't know what that reloading may be. So there was also some shoes. Uh, DC Men's Ranger Sneaker Black Armor Turquoise, size 11. And, uh, oh, this is down here. You know, we went from, uh, from Nancy to fancy here. We went with, uh, this guy from sports, well, could be a lady sports and outdoors section, the H I V I Z Glock interchangeable fiber optic front sight. 
So that cross-dresser may be packing. So we got shooters, shoes, and cross-dressers. Yes. And That's could, a, uh, an interesting cross-section. And I don't know. It could all be the same person. Well, hey, folks, uh, we're going to be doing this segment um, every week. So if you'd like to get in on this, um, hop over onto the xjtalk.com main page, the homepage, and right there above the big picture in the middle of the page, you'll see the amazon.com banner. Give that a click, and it, everything else is automatic. Just make your purchase, and you can buy virtually anything on amazon.com. And, of course, we don't know who's buying any of this stuff. but <laughs> We do not know. Once it gets shipped, um, we will get that list, and uh, and there's a good chance that um, that your item could be uh, read on the next podcast. Yes, if there's any more cross-dressing stuff, it will definitely be read. <laughs> well, we don't have to make that a theme, but uh, but that'll definitely uh, have a good have a good chance of uh, making it on the list. Hey, you know, I, it's funny, uh, but we're not here to judge. Uh, there's not anything wrong with that, and uh, hey, it could be a. Uh, it could, it could be a junior high uh, paper that somebody's writing. <laughs> it could be one of those essays. You just never can tell. But anyway, uh, also too, Josh, I was mentioning this to you earlier, uh, a little update on the near celebrity status that I, I was uh, thinking, and I'm not quite ready to, to release uh, or let go of this dream yet. The near celebrity status that I thought I was uh, getting from people honking at me I think that's right. Yeah, you've had you've had some people honking and waving at you recently. Uh, you know, I don't. I kind of fo- focus straight ahead. So waving, I'm not sure, unless it's the Jeep wave. I've seen some Jeep waves, but I know what that's about. But the honking is what I what I heard. And I, I'm you know I'm shy. I don't really go out of my way to uh, you know uh, grab the lamp limelight, so to speak. So when I hear these honkings, I just assume that it's something going on. But it's strange, at least in, in the Houston area, for people to be honking horns. So after it happened so many times, I thought, well, hey, maybe it's for me. Maybe they're going, hey, there's that guy that does the, has that xjtalk.com, has that, that talk show. I know that guy. Let's honk at him. Anyway, so there's one section of my drive home that uh, uh, I sit in um, a, a long line of maybe 50 or so cars uh, waiting to get through a light. And, uh, so there's a lot of traffic and I, and I mean, literally 50 cars, it may be more than that. Um, it's a good football field's length worth of cars, uh, getting up to the light. So, uh, as you can imagine that, uh, kind of blocks traffic from, uh, coming out from, uh, really the, uh, any businesses that are, uh, on the right and anybody coming from the, the other side of the road, it's a, uh, a six lane, six lane. Yeah. Six lane, uh, no four lane. Uh, with a median, uh, is it a median or a medium? Whatever that thing is in the middle. Yeah, uh, median. That, that I, sounds right. I, that I drive over occasionally if uh, <laughs> if I need to go around people that are blocking my turn lane. Uh, I've done it once, but anyway. Any, well, you have a Jeep, you're allowed. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that's the case. I'm hoping that the officer says that. You know, oh, it's a it's a Jeep. It's a built Jeep, so no problem. Uh, but anyway, so I'm sitting there uh, in the in the back of the line. And, uh, there's, uh, some people, uh, sitting at a stop sign and, uh, on the left-hand side. So they are, um, they need to come across the, the two or three lanes on that side and, and mix in with the cars on the right side that are fully backed up and not going anywhere until that light changes. So, um, I heard a honk and I went, that's strange. Uh, is that somebody, you know, uh, honking at me? 
and I, I looked around to see where the honk came from, and I realized what it was. There were four cars at a stop sign, and the car that was uh, at the, in the number one position at the stop sign was wanting to come over all the way over to our side of the road and mix in. And of course, we're not moving, so they can't uh, they can't like leave the the stop sign. Everybody, or at least the car honking behind that individual, wanted to, to make a right hand turn and go on along the the lane that was nice and open. So they were honking so that they the person in front of them would get up off their ass and move. <laughs> <laughs> so now I understand at least in that one area why there may be honking. Now I may just be you know, being a, a, a great guy and thinking of how I'm not, you know, all that wonderful and everything. And there's no reason why I would be considered a celebrity or perhaps, or perhaps that was just one of those things that happens that now I think that it, that's why they're honking. And that was, that was true in that one case, but not true in the other cases, but I will be collecting more information and reporting it here. Well, I think that was an isolated incident, and uh, I think your your initial steps into um, the F list celebrity status is is still intact. So I, you know, think that you're you're probably still on track to becoming a celebrity. <laughs> I thought this was pretty funny. This is this is jumping back to a little something that we were saying uh, a few minutes ago. But uh, uh, Brazcats uh, commented in because uh, we're doing the the Ustream live uh, as as well. And if you guys are interested in at least hearing uh, the live portion of the show, you can uh, jump over to Ustream uh, slash channel. I'm sorry, Ustream TV slash channel slash XJ Talk. And uh, on Sundays at uh, 10 p.m. Central Time and listen to the live portion of the show. And we have a couple of people uh, listening uh, tonight, uh, XJ Wheeler and Brazcats, uh, XJTalk.com members. And uh, (laughs) so anyway... It was funny. I just noticed here in the chat uh, that uh, Brazcat says that, uh, oh, where was it? You know, Wayne was the cross-dresser purchaser. Uh, Wayne is Cantab27, our beloved Kiwi uh, down in New Zealand or over in New Zealand or however you want to say it. And uh, also to uh, XJTalk.com member, uh, moderator. Well, I know uh, Wayne and, and, uh, and Brazcats, they, uh, they go back and forth quite a bit. So oh, do they? that's just nothing but love right there. <laughs> <laughs> I know he and Big Jim do, so I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know what uh, Brazcats doing that. But, yeah, that's a lot of fun. There's also chat on uh, – there's a little chat window on xjtalk.com, and uh, you can interact with uh, other xjtalk.com members. Of course, you do have to be a member of xjtalk.com to uh to use uh, actually to even see the chat uh because uh, sometimes people get a little colorful and uh, we want to make sure that somebody uh, that's going to be viewing chat has actually agreed uh that they are an uh, an adult of 18 years or older and uh <laughs> it's it's much easier to do that than try to keep uh, big jim and uh, wayne straight on <laughs> chat and when i what? say and when i say straight i mean family friendly yeah, of course. I was going to say there's a, a new XJTalk.com member um, that signed up for a paying membership that was new to chat recently and uh, got a chance to, uh, you know, shoot the uh, shoot a little bit of conversation back and forth with them while I was at work on Friday. And uh, so that was cool. I mean, seeing that, you know, the guy's new to the site, new to chat, and um, and he had a good time. Uh, posted up uh, some stuff and and some links to some questions he had on online and stuff like that, but uh, definitely got a, got his money's worth out of the entertainment value yep. that day. So yep, and that's what it is for. We don't want people going in there and and uh, trying to get technical questions. 
it's a, it's a very common thing uh, whenever your Jeep is driving you nuts and you just want to ask somebody. Uh, problem is, is that you're going, you're not going to find somebody that has as much information as the 10 or 15 people that are going to respond to your post. So, um, if you, if you ask a technical question in chat and a moderator gently says, Hey, we don't, you know, could you post that? We don't do that here. Uh, mm-hmm. please understand. And, and, and it's, it's really for good reason. Um, because well, I know that there's several uh, highly technical people on xjtalk.com that are very, very infrequent in chat. So you're going to be missing out on their uh, on their years of, of uh, uh, talent uh, that they are not going to be able to share with you. Well, not to discount or, or piss anybody off who's normally in chat, but uh, the folks that, that, and I'm there, you know, Monday through Friday, uh, all day during work, um, but, uh, and the folks that are, in chat, most I would say are, are more pranksters than they are um, technicians. <laughs> yes. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, there's some there's some good smart people that that are in chat. Oh, oh yeah, but but they're not there for <laughs> they're not there to be overly technical. They oh. are there to have fun, probably to kill the uh, the kill some of the hours of the day in the boring main, boring mundane world of uh, employment. Wow. Uncomfortable pause. Oh, sorry. I was uh, I was just taking a uh, taking a quick dr- quick drink. I um, been uh, running some new uh, some cable in our new building uh, for us at where we're actually moving um, to a larger facility uh, in my place of employment, and I've been contracted to um, to run all of the um, the Cat Five and all the network cables and stuff like that. So here I am, uh, most of last week crawling, or most of this week I should say, uh, crawling underneath the um, the crawl spaces of this uh, this large uh, facility was built in the early 80s and there was a lot of moldy dirt and insulation dust and stuff like that down there and in my uh my throat kind of got a little scratchy this week uh, so i've been trying to trying to stay um hydrated and keep my throat lubricated yep i was going to ask you cuz back in my uh my early days of uh, computers and uh raised floors and stuff and every time that i had to get in under that floor and uh, it felt great because the you know the, the the multiple multiple tons of AC were were blowing on me, but uh, boy, it was something about I think it was the the dust and debris and stuff. Mm-hmm. I would get a a really bad head cold, and, and that was back when I was in my in my twenties, and I just never got sick. But uh, uh, after um, two or three times of that happening, uh, where I would get under the floor to. And this was this was for work. It wasn't just me being uh, a spelunker or anything. <laughs> it wasn't for fun, folks. It was uh, is pulling cables or something. But anyway, uh, I get under that floor, and a couple of days later, man, I had a head cold. It was uh, it was bad. So I was going to ask if that was uh, causing you some issues. But uh, uh, I was wearing a dust mask and and stuff like. I mean, it was just one of those you know like paper cone you know painters mask sort of things. Um, and, and that was just mainly to you know, protect myself from any fiberglass, uh, debris, you know, the particulate. And, and of course, you know, they, there is mold and stuff down there and I, I don't need to be breathing, breathing that stuff in, but it was by no means a, you know, a double canister respirator type, uh, you know, hazmat suit system type thing. It was just a paper mask. So I'm sure that I, I inhaled some stuff that I probably shouldn't have, but it was at least less than I could have. Well, I was just thinking if you ever, you know, if you complain a bit about the, 
the working conditions, maybe they would get you one of those double breather respirator masks and you could uh, take your, uh, your digital recorder to work no. and yeah. do, and do a Darth Vader thing. Yeah. <sighs> Luke, you are my father, you know, something like that. <laughs> well, the good news is, um, is we're, we're almost done, um, with all the wiring stuff. I'll be going back to do some security wiring and stuff. We're going to have a, a pretty high end security system at this facility. So, I'm uh, blessed to to be part of that and and have the uh, the trust in the company to hire me. Well, yeah, they're paying me um, to to allow me to do this sort of stuff. I mean, I used to do it for a living back in the day, uh, so I you know I've, I know what I'm doing for the most part. But um, while um, most of the people are going to be um, not being paid and have some un, unpaid time off while the company moves, I will be um, still contracted, be doing some installation work and stuff like that. So. Working wow. out, uh, working out in my favor. Right at right at Christmas time too. So that's uh, that's yeah. actually good. You're gonna have the the money coming in. And yep. uh, yeah, all moved by January. Uh, well, January second, we'll, we'll be working the first. Th- theoretically, they say. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sure there's gonna be some uh, wrinkles to iron out and stuff like that, as with any sort of thing like that. Come hell or high water, water, we will be moved. And if we're not, heads will roll. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> then it will exactly. be perfectly understandable why we won't be up till January the 3rd. Yeah, it's usually, it's amazing. It's just amazing um, how how used do you get to things being operational. And then when you move it, there are, there are more things than you will ever think of. Uh, if it's part of a data center, uh, certainly. If it's a uh, moving a, 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 taking an engine out of a Jeep, <laughs> And replacing it with a, a freshly built one with all new parts, there is something that you're going to miss that is going to screw you. And, uh, yeah, so uh, hopefully with enough people, when you do a move like that, hopefully when there's enough people involved or the right people involved, you can get things fixed fairly quickly. So uh, all the best and uh, make Thanks. sure, yeah, make sure that you uh, you distance yourself from any problems. <laughs> Yeah, I, there will be a lot of plausible den- deniability there, I'm sure. <laughs> I write, have nothing to do with that. <laughs> write, write some memos, you know, how like, uh, if we do this, I have a concern about this, and blah, 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 blah. So if it happens, you have the uh, the get-out-of-jail-free card, so to speak. So uh, I, I thought I would just mention here real quick, um, uh, obviously you guys, some of you guys are listening to this as a podcast, a, a prior recorded show, and I don't want to make this bad for you uh, from the standpoint of uh, – interacting with people that are listening to the live show. But at the same time, I think that, uh, it, 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 I think you might find it interesting and also too, it might encourage you to listen to the live show and and interact. Uh, but anyway, um, I noticed here, uh, in chat, which I don't look at constantly. I, I can't think and read at the same time. Okay. I really can't think most of the time, but anyway, um, brass cat types, uh, do you have any updates on your Jeep's cooling issue? Uh, that you're going to talk about uh, on tonight's show, and no, not really. I haven't had any issues uh, with the the cooling on the rebuilt uh, 4.0 that I've been running here since uh, what is it September? Uh, like that. Now you have. Do you have that Detours triple fan installed already? That's not Detours. That right. is Sorry, a dirt dirtbound dirt off road uh, xjtalk.com uh, vendor. And uh, anyway, uh, I have not put that in yet. I was uh, lying to myself today when I said I'm going to put in the, the front door to the house and then I'm going to install the, the, the three electric fans 
uh, a new thermostat, a higher thermostat, because I'm only seeing about 10 and a half miles per gallon with the 160. Uh, I was going to put in the uh, BMW 13,000 uh, BTU transmission cooler. Uh, it just it kind of lends itself to installation because of doing the uh, the three fan setup. You have to take some of that stuff out of the way anyway. And uh, I lied to myself saying I would do that after I did the the front door. And actually, I even thought I would do that first and then do the front door. Uh, wisely, <laughs> knowing how I am, <laughs> I decided to do the front door. And I uh, say that's an awfully ambitious list. <laughs> it was. I knew it was just kind of a wish type thing. So my backup plan is to do it during the week. And uh, the backup backup plan is to not during do it during the week. And wait till the weekend, but unfortunately, I want to get the the kitchen uh, floor tiled, and we only have one weekend left before the uh, well. Depending on on if you're the person cooking or not, the dreaded turkey day. So anyway, um, <clears throat> to answer the question, uh, no, uh, I haven't been watching the the cooling on the uh, the Jeep. I haven't had the little um, app up on my phone uh, monitoring. Each, each little fraction of a degree <laughs> like I've been doing here for a while. I've just been watching the, the gauge, but uh, it's not really going up very high. Um, it, it goes, it gets to maybe it gets to 210 uh, these days and uh, really doesn't go over. And if it does go over, it comes down pretty quick. It's acting normal, but that is because of the outside air temperatures. I was um, just going to say, you've got to be having some some cooler temps down there now compared to September. Well, not wildly so. Um, it's uh, instead of being in the um, low to upper 90s, low to mid, I would say probably was was what I was uh, what was hurting me. It's uh, it, it may get up to 87, um, may have gotten up to 87. Uh, it really hasn't been an issue uh, for the cooling system. It's it only is when the air temps are above uh, ninety degrees, like the ninety two to ninety five range. Uh, here I'm I'm like a, I think a, a spitting distance from freezing temps right now. I think it's about forty degrees outside. <laughs> yeah, well, with forty degrees, I probably wouldn't see it. Wouldn't even get up to two ten um, with that one hundred and sixty degree thermostat that I have in there. So, uh, brass cats, thanks for asking. Uh, I have not been doing the the Jeep four point uh, build updates because. Uh, everything has been been going really well, and I've I've mentioned this to Matt, uh, who who built this engine for me. Uh, I mentioned this to Matt several times. Uh, the engine runs really really smooth. Uh, it is really nice. The only issue is that uh, that very common problem that a lot of Jeeps have the uh, the running warm, and uh, uh, obviously the electric fan uh, setup is not going to solve uh, an airflow issue. And uh, you get above 40 miles per hour, uh, the you you would have to have a jet engine to force more air through the that that radiator uh, uh, condenser combo than what any fan that you could put on there. Uh, I mean, just moving through the air at 40 miles an hour is gonna uh, is gonna force more air through there. I think probably what the problem I'm having is where the air is going, and uh, I may have to uh, look at putting an air dam in. But I'm going to. Uh, oh, the other thing I had, I didn't mention was I was going to take the um, the radiator. I'm sorry, the transmission off of the radiator. So I was going to just run it through the um, OEM uh, tranny cooler that is uh, was part of the towing package on my uh, my XJ, 
and uh, then run it through the, the BN, uh, B&M training cooler. Now, I have a temp gauge uh, on there so I can monitor it, and I did not want to do this until I had that temp gauge, um, you know, because heat will kill your transmission, and I did not want to think that I had enough cooling, uh, especially during the summer, and then see that that, uh, and then find out later that the, uh, the training temps actually were well above 220. So now that I have the gauge, I'm going to be uh, bypassing the radiator, Basically, I'm going to remove a heat-generating device from the cooling system. No, it's definitely a good idea. I, I don't, in all the posts that I've seen um, that you've put up about this whole cooling issue, I've never seen, I don't think anybody's ever asked you whether or not the idea of putting louvers in the hood ever crossed your mind. Or like the LeBaron vents. Well, um, the... Um, you may have you may have joined after this, and there's a lot of posts on XJ Talk, so you may have missed this. I actually have a a hood with a uh, Cal induction scoop on it. Oh, yeah, oh. and I found whenever I was doing that, I started off with a fairly substantial opening in the hood, at least so I thought, and uh, I took basically a, a dinner plate and sat it on top of the hood. And then drew a circle. And then I went, you know, because I was going to put this, this circle right under where I was going to put the Cal induction hood uh, scoop. And <clears throat> cut out this circle, or I should say. So uh, I looked at that, uh, what I had drawn on the hood, and I went, you know, I don't think that's big enough. So I basically took the dinner plate and I moved it back uh, towards the, uh, towards the, um, the compartment where you sit in the Jeep and uh, drew a little circle drew another circle and there was a gap between the two. So then I drew a line, took a straight edge and drew a line between those two circles. So basically if you can imagine like a pill shape mm-hmm. and, uh, but you know how big a dinner plate is. It's, it's good, you know, 12 inches at least. Yeah. So, so basically what I did was I took out two dinner plate size. Uh, you, you set them not really side by side and there was probably three or four inches separating between the two. I, I took that's how much metal I took out of the middle of the hood. And I was careful um, not to remove any of the structure or the infrastructure, the structure, infrastructure, the, the, the support structure. The, yeah. The, the support structure uh, under the hood. This is right in the center, the, the, um, the single uh, layer of the metal area. So I took that out. And then I took the, the scoop and I just, uh, using, uh, some, uh, stainless steel screws, I screwed it to the hood to, to cover the hole. So then I, I went out and I drove with that. Uh, it was during the summer. Uh, had, summer had just started. This is like two years ago. The summer had just started and I noticed no difference. Absolutely no difference between, uh, having the scoop and the hole and not. Interesting. Interesting. So basically, um, I thought, well, and, and, and I'm sure I interacted with some people on XJ talk and I, I think that, uh, it was actually Steve 4.3 LXJ, the, the gentleman that does most of our Jeep tips. Um, I think he, he was the one that got me into the thinking of the hole is probably not big enough or not in the right place. So I looked at the, now with the outline of all the little screws that I had holding the, the hood scoop, uh, the calinduction scoop to the hood, I was able to clearly see, uh, how much of the hood can I remove? <laughs> so 
<laughs> I removed, I left about an inch, um, underneath the, uh, underneath the, the, um, uh, cowl induction scoop. I'd read someplace that you need to leave at least some of the metal so that you can, uh, uh, have some support, uh, to the scoop. And also too, I'm still planning on, on, on bonding it to the hood and, uh, actually, uh, molding it, you know, with uh, body work and stuff, make it oh, look nice. See. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I keep, I keep going back to that picture, um, uh, of your Jeep in front of that rustic barn and, uh, keep thinking that that's, that's one of your more current pictures. Oh no, no, not at all. And actually the, there's a few about before that, that don't even have the, uh, don't even have the bumpers, uh, at least not the, the front bumper. But anyway, so <clears throat> I removed a lot of the, the metal from the hood, everything that was under that very wide scoop. And it wasn't, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't until that I removed enough of that metal that I started seeing uh, a change in the temperatures. And as expected, the temperature difference I saw was at low, uh, low speed, um, idle, you know, sitting in traffic or low speed, not uh, driving fast. In fact, it really made a, a significant improvement uh, when I went off road. Uh, I, I was sitting in my Jeep, windows up, and you know, you guys are going to hate me. Windows up, AC blasting, uh, <laughs> 97 degrees out on the trail, and it did, didn't even move from 210. It was doing wonderful. And uh, the only time it would heat up is when I got out on the highway. So uh, that really, really helped. So basically, when you ask about the LeBaron hood uh, vents and stuff, in my experience, absolutely pointless. They do not do anything for you uh, other than make you feel uh, like you're doing something. I mean, if you if you measure the temps before, after, and, and really get down to the brass tacks, I think you'll find the same thing I found. You have to have a massive amount of hood uh, open to the air to, to get enough heat out of there. And I'll tell you what, man, whenever I drive home, in the summertime, when I was, because right now I just have a regular, uh, a regular hood on my on my Jeep that uh, Matt's letting me borrow. Um, I tell you what, whenever I get home, running that uh, that cal induction hood scoop, and I pull up into the garage and park and turn the motor off, I can get out, put my hand behind the uh, where the opening is to the the cal induction uh, scoop, and I feel a vigorous breeze of air, and it is hot. Yeah, I know in the in the winter months here, uh, I mean, I've got a finished garage. I don't know how well insulated it really is, though. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's finished, you know, sheetrocked and every and everything like that. But the garage still gets plenty cold in the winter. Um, I mean, it's definitely you know warmer than it is outside, being finished and all. But I can I can have the Jeep at operating temp, pull it into the garage, open up the hood, and within a few minutes, the garage is toasty warm. Yeah. I don't doubt it. <laughs> that those things generate a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so anyway, well, Josh, we're about forty-two minutes into this show. Uh, <laughs> I think it's great <laughs> that we can sit here and talk. Uh, and I, I probably, I, I know, I always talk about this. I probably worry too much about uh, the show being long, but I haven't gotten any complaints, uh, and the 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 listener count is uh, is going up. <clears throat> so. And I, and if anything, I mean, I've, uh, in the, um, XJ talk show section on the, um, xjtalk.com website, um, in the per episode listings, 
I've been seeing more and more positive feedback uh, and been getting even compliments on on your decision to to you know open up these more more segments and stuff like that and add these new little tidbits in and, and bringing me on and stuff of course um, of course you know, so it's 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 definitely being perceived well and being received well so well it's a learning curve I mean you know uh, um, the model that I went by was listening to uh, a guy that talks about uh, how to do podcasts that he has a show. It's about an hour long. He tries to hold it down to an hour, and it's him talking. Uh, he has music that he starts the show with, uh, and it's him talking for that hour. Uh, he has interviews occasionally. He has uh, most recently he's he's brought on uh, a a social media expert, so to speak. So there's an interaction at the end of the show between between them, and they talk about Facebook and Twitter and stuff. So he's morphing it a bit, but whenever I first was listening to about how to do podcast, it was just a, a guy, a microphone, and a digital recorder um, recording a show. So that's how I started this one. And uh, I know that uh, you've actually been out on the trail and somebody was uh, uh, saying, oh, yeah, I've heard that show. <laughs> I gave it a couple of tries. and <laughs> That was it. And then you actually told him, well, you know, they, he's changed the format around. You might you might want to go back and listen. So it's not this this one guy droning on for an hour about uh, you know what his cat did or or what his dog did. Uh, oh, thankfully, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a learning curve. I'm and also too it's it's how much effort do you want to put into something, and it's really hard to justify putting in a, a lot of effort whenever you don't uh, get feedback. So that feedback that Josh is talking about is very very well received. You don't know how much because this is fun. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this show. Josh wouldn't be doing this show unless it was fun. But Josh and I can just get on Skype and talk. We don't have to involve you guys. So hearing the feedback uh, about the show and uh, about uh, our involvement in it makes a huge, huge difference in how we feel about what we're doing. At least that's the way it is for me, Josh. I'm assuming it's the way for you. No, absolutely. And, and in fact, I, you know, I ask all our listeners, I mean, please go to the website and give us that feedback. Feedback. Let us know what you guys are thinking. If, there, if there's something you want us to change or alter or do a little bit differently or, you know, even if you just want to say, hey, good show, guys, you know, any, any comments are welcome. We really appreciate it. And also, too, a uh, good opportunity to plug the, uh, the voicemail line. <clears throat> it's, it's there. It's waiting for you. It's feeling very lonely because nobody ever calls. And I was telling Josh, I think the, the reason for that is, is that we have a forum. You know, you can voice your, your feelings and thoughts in the forum. So that's probably why you don't feel uh, the need to, to voice them on actual voicemail. But, but anyway, if you ever do, and, and I love show promos. So if you'd like to call in and tell us what you like or don't like about XJ Talk Show, uh, do it on the voicemail line and you will probably put it in the show. Uh, we promise not to make too much fun of you, though. Anyway, <laughs> the number is 530-675-4102. 530-675-4102. That number is up on the xjtalk.com site. Um, if you uh, notice, there are some notices at the top of the page, of every page. And that's one of the, uh, one of the notices. So that number is always available to you. Unless you've been bad and actually close that notice because it was made uh i gave uh, the ability to to 
close those notices so you wouldn't have to look at them all the time. I know some of our members uh, use these the mini computers and uh, the screen sizes on those things aren't very big. So I try to uh, let people control how much uh, information they have on their screen because, you know, after all, they really are there to look at the the posts and maybe chat, not really the um, the stuff that we're telling them about the show and, and so on and so forth. But And also, too, guys, if you do like the show, uh, whether it be the Ustream live portion of the show or the podcast, uh, preferably both, let your friends know. Um, let them know to, to watch the show. We'd like to see uh, a lot of viewers uh, on the in the Ustream chat. We'd like to see their, our uh, uh, listener count uh, really just go sky high. It would be uh, this, this make us very happy uh, personally uh, because uh, you guys are enjoying what you're hearing or seeing and uh, sharing it with people. So, yeah, I know a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners are you know are podcasters. They're they're downloading the show. They're playing it on their smartphone. You know, put that uh, put that five three zero six seven five four one zero two number uh, into your um, speed dial. And uh, after a show, give us a call. Let us know what you think. But yeah, let shoot that shoot that episode over to a friend and and uh, and share this with them and uh, and let them know about the Amazon link too. Um, you know that way they, we can all um, benefit from this. Yep, and uh, we've had giveaways in the past, and we will have giveaways in the future. So uh, the only problem with that is is money, moolah, the cash or rula. And I made that last one up. And uh, if it really would help anything we can do uh, to generate some revenue on xjtalk.com. And, man, Amazon.com is the way to do it because you pay the exact same price you would normally pay and xjtalk.com gets a few cents for each one of those purchases. So, uh, hell, if you know somebody that's a big Amazon.com purchaser, uh, it doesn't matter if you're a Prime member or just somebody that stumbles on over there occasionally to buy stuff, let them know about the the banner. You know, Just tell them to go to xjtalk.com, click on that banner, and then make your purchase. And, and you don't have to be a member, is that right? You no. don't have to be an xjtalk.com uh, oh, member to, to use that link. Am I no, right? No, not at all. Uh, it it just goes by uh, whenever you log on to, to amazon.com. And, you know, I, I don't know this exactly, but I have heard that once you click on that banner, it's good for 24 hours. So I think you could even close your browser. And as long as you open up the same browser that you were in, because I think it uses cookies, <clears throat> it uh, you go back to Amazon.com and make a purchase. XJTalk gets still gets the the a portion of the uh, well, I don't want to say a portion of the sale. XJTalk gets a few cents for a, a thank you from Amazon.com for uh, directing you to them. So, so when you're handing in your Christmas lists to your significant other, be sure to put on go to XJTalk.com and click Amazon when they're doing their online shopping. Yep, and uh, I don't want to uh, I don't want to I haven't priced them recently, but I will say this about three years ago, maybe four, four now, uh, when I purchased my, uh, super, my, um, what was it? EPI 9.0 or EPI. Yeah. I think it was EP 9.0. I, uh, super winch. Uh, I got it around Christmas time and, you know, keep in mind, this is a heavy piece of equipment. I got it from Amazon for $499. Free shipping. Free shipping on a winch? Free shipping on a winch. I mean, I I think I found that same price someplace else, <clears throat> but it was going to cost me $70 to 
to have it shipped. Wow. So just getting it from a place that had free shipping, and I wasn't a Prime member. It was just a, a deal that they were doing on Amazon.com that, uh, you know, for four ninety nine you get this, this heavy-duty, nice winch, and shipping was free. So, uh, and those things were going for around seven fifty eight hundred dollars at the time. So finding it at four ninety nine with free shipping and uh, <clears throat> no tax, <laughs> it really it really helped. I mean, uh, five hundred dollars uh, and no tax. You know, you can imagine what the tax would be on uh, on five hundred dollar yeah. purchase. So it was a sweet deal. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have to tell you if you guys uh, ever do any shopping on Amazon.com, you know, there's so many things there. And uh, actually, I started buying so many things from Amazon.com uh, that I uh, I signed up as a Prime member. So I pay uh, eighty bucks. I think it's eighty bucks a year. And uh, actually, I, I don't want to make this into too much of an infomercial for Amazon.com, but I thought this was really neat. Uh, last year, um, three days before Christmas, I had already purchased a few things for the family, including my wife. Uh, but, uh, my wife cooks a lot during Thanksgiving and Christmas time for our family and, uh, uh, my in-laws, her, her parents and her sister and, and her family, they all come over to our house. And, uh, that's one of the reasons why I want to do the tile in the kitchen and I've been doing the doors, uh, before Thanksgiving, because we have a, a big get together. Anyway, um, I remembered something that she had told me that she really wanted and it was only like three days before Christmas. So it was one of those mixers, you know, those $300 behemoths that, uh, Oh, the big countertop, yeah, uh, kitchen yeah, yeah. aid mixers or whatever. Yeah. A kitchen aid. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, I remembered about that and I went, you know, I'm sure Amazon has it. I'm a prime member. This is last Christmas. So this is 2011 and, uh, literally two or three days before Christmas. And, uh, I, I went there, I saw it. And I looked uh, at the, you know, it was a good price. I mean, it was the same price you see uh, most places that have the good prices, like three hundred bucks, maybe two sixty nine, something like that. I don't know. It's been a while. Anyway, so uh, I clicked to purchase that, and on the way on the way out, it, it asks how you want how you want it to, to be shipped. I mean, how long you want it to take to be shipped. And the standard for Prime customers is two days, but you can get it sent overnight. If it's a prime product, you can you can get it sent overnight. Do you know how much more money I had to pay to have that thing sent overnight, right at Christmas time? I would imagine you know close to a hundred bucks because those, those things are pretty heavy. I mean, those things almost weigh as much as a winch. I may be a dollar off on this because I can't remember. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was three dollars and ninety nine cents. Wow! It cost me four bucks to have it shipped overnight. That's amazing. I mean, the money you saved on that would have paid must have, I mean, pretty close paid for the, the prime membership right there. Yep. Well, and, and like I said, I mean, she, it was there the next day I had it, I was able to wrap it and, uh, it was a Christmas present for her, uh, a, a day, two days later. So, I mean, and you know how busy things are at that time of year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I was a UPS driver, FedEx or whatever, Boy, those guys. <laughs> I'd be, I would be pissed off at Amazon and their Prime stuff because if they knew that it only costs four bucks to ship something overnight, <laughs> so yeah. so you know Amazon's getting a sweet deal from uh, from those uh, those people those uh, those delivery services. 
because you know it costs a lot more than four bucks to have that sent. So anyway, infomercial over. Amazon has a bunch of products. They have uh, the Prime uh, if you are so inclined to pay the $80 a year to get the, to have the ability to do what I just did at Christmas this past Christmas time. And, and this is the really cool thing. They have this program that allows uh, uh, people like uh, us here on xjtalk.com to, uh, to, to get some money. I mean, it allows you to uh, say, hey, I like xjtalk.com. I want to click on the amazon.com banner, and we get a few cents from that purchase. And again, it doesn't cost you anything more. But anyway, like I said, infomercial over. I don't want to beat that horse too long. <laughs> well, Josh, I think that's going to wrap us up for the uh, live portion of our show. Uh, thanks so much for being here. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's a lot more fun than just listening to me talk. And, uh, the guys in the chat room on, uh, the Ustream uh, live, uh, show here, appreciate you jo- joining in. We had a, a total of three, count them three, one, two, three. I can even say it. I can even count it one at a time, uh, viewers tonight. So, and there were some people that were late. You people know who you are. You need to be here on time. The show starts at 10 central time. <laughs> we actually got started late tonight because, uh, now we're uh, fashionably late, fashionably late, <laughs> pretty girl late. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, anything you want to wrap up with Josh? Oh, by the way, I wanted to tell you really quick, loved the interviews, this L U V apostrophe D the interviews and, and, uh, nothing against you or the, the people that you interviewed, but the background noise was wonderful. This listening to that in stereo and hearing the, the revving of the engines, the people talking and milling around wonderful audio. Well, hey, thanks. I had a I had a great time doing that. Um, being a part of those shows, uh, just DJing and MCing it uh, alone is is really cool for me. Um, you know, I have a good time doing that, and this just added another facet to that. So I, I had a great time walking around with the digital recorder, and and folks, that was the first time I had ever done anything like that. So um, a, a little bit of a few bugs to work out uh, here and there, and and uh, as those uh, those happen, and next year. There's going to be many, many here in my area. A lot of Jeep and off-road shows going on. Um, I already know and am personally part of at least three or four that I know of so far. And there's going to be more that are happening. So um, you're going to be hearing a lot more of that kind of stuff um, later on uh, next year, of course, as the uh, the weather improves and stuff like that around here in the Pacific Northwest. So, um, But thanks for listening to that. Thanks for all the positive feedback I got from that. I really appreciate that. And I know that um, that one dyno poll segment um, went a little bit long. Um, I know I was, I was kind of anxious. They, uh, they kind of teased us a couple of times, looked like they were going to, they were going to go full throttle on that a couple of times and then didn't. So, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. And I've, I've actually got, I think we got another one, um, of another show that I did here recently. That's, um, that we'll play here, um, pretty soon and you guys will get a little bit more of that kind of stuff. Yep. I really enjoyed it. Glad. Uh, thanks for the effort because it can be a little uh, embarrassing to go out there and, and talk in front of people and they look at you like, you know, like you're an idiot. <laughs> but thankfully, uh, you or I don't possess that, uh, that caring gene about that. So it really, I mean, it's great to listen to. And, and I think it really helps whenever you get feedback from people that it was, uh, it was worth, uh, your time to, to do that. <clears throat> so you're going to hear a lot more from Josh because uh, he's, uh, he's involved in a lot of off-road things and has a digital recorder, and he's not afraid to use it. 
That's right. So be warned. <laughs> hey, folks, uh, one, one last thing uh, real quick. Uh, on xjtalk.com, uh, on the uh, forum section, there is a, um, a, a separate thread uh, dedicated towards just the electrical and audio tips segment. Um, if you've got anything that you have questions about that are electrical or audio related, uh, please go there and uh, and make a new thread and post something up um, or comment on stuff that's already been up there. The, uh, the thread's been fairly active uh, since it's been created, which it's only, geez, what, maybe a month or two old. And, uh, and it's, there's a decent amount of activity there. So pop on over there, uh, post something up, post a question up, and you just might uh, hear your topic discussed um, in the electrical and audio tips segment. Yep, absolutely. I thought about that earlier. I'm glad that you remembered to, uh, to mention it because uh, that, uh, that really helps. And <clears throat> we also have a, a Jeep Tips uh, forum as well on xjtalk.com, and uh, we will be having more Jeep Tips. Uh, we just got to... Uh, Gosh, you know, Josh, I was thinking, here we are at uh, the one hour mark, and it's just me. It's just been me and you talking. It's not. Ha- it hasn't been the segments. It hasn't been the interview. Nothing. So, uh, this is this show is getting chocked full of uh, entertainment goodness. Well, hey, we better uh, we better let the folks go and and give them some of the other stuff they come here to listen to. <laughs> I think so. Well, <laughs> you know, the beauty of a recorded podcast is. They can always fast forward or listen to it again. <clears throat> All right, guys, thanks a lot. And uh, please hang loose. All the, the guys on the live show, thanks a lot for being there. Uh, and, uh, you know, as usual, you can hang around because uh, we'll be uh, chatting and uh, goofing off here while we're uh, mixing the rest of the show. And for those of you that are listening to the, uh, the recorded podcast, stick around. We got more goodies coming up. This segment brought to you by DetoursUSA.com. Ten years of innovating, not imitating XJ products. Check out www.DetoursUSA.com. And Detours wants to remind everyone to practice safe sex. No pig borking till you wrap that rascal. Hey, this is Nicole Johnson of Johnson Motorsports, and I am a Monster Jam truck driver, and you're listening to XJ Talk Show. Electrical. And audio tips. Hey guys, in this uh, installment of Electrical and Audio Tips, I wanted to go over something I've been seeing on the forum on xjtalk.com a little bit more frequently lately. And that's uh, system upgrades. And by system, I mean audio system. I've seen a few questions uh, pop up on the forums as to, you know, the proper way or the the right steps, the, um, the right line to go as far as, you know, how do I upgrade my audio system and and what do I do first? And I always, there, there is um, there is a right way and a wrong way to do everything. Um, and a lot of this will also come down to personal preference. Uh, but, you know, you don't want to be slamming a thousand watt amplifier through a stock stereo uh, into stock speakers. That would obviously be the wrong way to go about things. So I'm going to go over just real quickly, sort of the, the most logical linear progression of a system upgrade. Now, there's, there's basically three major components um, to any audio system. The first and foremost and most important being the head unit, the deck, the stereo. CD player, tune box, whatever you want to call it. It's the thing in the dash. Now, this is probably one of the most important parts of any audio system because uh, this is what is generating the sound. Regardless of how much power you have, if your sound quality sucks, 
from the source, well, you're just going to be having amplified sucky sound. <laughs> it's kind of how it goes. If you get a decent quality stereo, and I'm not saying you got to go out and drop $1,000 on a brand new head unit, um, chances are you're going to end up with, regardless of what you do down the road, decent sound coming out of your speakers. That brings me to the next point, speakers. Speakers is the other key point into an audio system, the other you know main thing. And the other one is amplifier. Now, oftentimes, um, most people will not even consider an amplifier. It's too much, you know, don't know how to wire it, don't really need it, yada, yada. And that's all fine and dandy. Um, a lot of stereos nowadays, especially the newer models, are coming, on, are coming out with some decent onboard power, uh, 55, 65, 80 watts a channel, uh, which is a far cry from what used to be the normal back in the day of, you know, 15 to 20, 25 watts. Now you can still find um, a lot of decks with around 15, or, you know, I'm sorry, with around 25 to 40 watts per channel. That's, that's around 40 watts per channel, 35, 40 watts per channel is about the average. Uh, there are more, and um, you'd probably be hard-pressed to find less, but I'm sure they're out there. Now, don't get me wrong, an amplifier isn't necessary. It isn't mandatory to have a decent-sounding system. You want to really focus for a decent sounding system on your speakers and your head unit. That's those are going to be the the most important factors. Uh, getting a good deck is is not only is important for several reasons. One, longevity. You don't want to be dropping seventy five hundred, three hundred dollars on a stereo every year or after every serious wheeling trip. If you're in a, in a place where you have the kind of wheeling habits where you bounce around a lot, um, chances are your stereo is going to take a beating. Lesser quality decks are especially going to take a beating. They have lesser quality components, which don't stand up to the environments and the rigors of an off-road vehicle. Stiffer suspension, harsher terrain, etc., etc. So when you when you spend the money for a decent deck, you're going to be getting a lot more than just you know a fancy head unit or a name that somebody's going to recognize. You're going to be getting a little bit of peace of mind, and you're going to be getting some decent sound quality. With these better components and a better made stereo, you're going to be getting some better sound. And regardless of what you do later down the road, whether you amplify your system or not, better sound is better sound. Now, in order to replicate that better sound, you're going to need a decent set of speakers. Again, you don't have to go out and drop three or $400 on a pair of speakers to get good sound. There's a few choices you've got here. Quality or quantity. Now, you can add eight pairs of speakers to a Cherokee, although I highly wouldn't recommend it. That would be kind of redundant, but it, it can be done and I've seen it done. But you know, you don't have to go that route. A decent set of speakers um, will do a lot for you. And by set, I mean at least a pair. You know, just replacing one speaker that's blown because that door sounds like crap, you know, that's that's why well, you're gonna have a really good sounding door and the rest is gonna suck. Speakers are always sold in pairs anyways. So why not swap them both out? Most Cherokees have four speakers, two in the front doors, um, usually, or uh, and two in the back gate, uh, or in the newer models, they're up in the, uh, the rear ceiling. Now, the most common speaker that you're going to find is going to be a coaxial speaker. Uh, this is what is stock, and this is what is going to be in most people's price range. Coaxial speaker is basically um, is a single speaker that does two things. Uh, it has a larger driver and usually a smaller paper cone. The larger driver obviously moves the amount of air to produce the lower range of frequencies, bass, and the smaller paper cone that is usually attached to that 
produces higher range frequencies. It vibrates at a higher frequency, producing higher frequency sound. That's how a speaker works, basically. So the other, the other way to go is with what's called separates or a component speaker system where you have a dedicated mid-bass driver and a tweeter. Uh, these usually require a higher level of installation skill, oftentimes require uh, you to drill a hole to flush mount or screw, a, uh, screw the tweeter into a separate location. This is almost a topic unto itself because there's a lot that goes into not only selecting the the kind of separates um, for your system, the right kind of separates, but also how to set them up and, of course, uh, installation techniques. And we'll probably cover that on on a different segment. But um, separates are, like I said, a, a dedicated driver and a tweeter. Uh, one produces lower range, one produces higher range, and these are a much higher quality of speaker and obviously produces a lot better quality of sound. It's a more efficient system, uh, but again, they are more expensive. Now, even with a you know midline, mid-grade stereo upgrade and a set of entry-level separates, your system will sound better than it ever has before. And this can be done on a relatively easy budget, uh, especially nowadays with Craigslist and things like that. Um, I'm sure there's people in your town that are selling used stereo gear all the time. I want to put out a word of of warning to um, those people who are tempted to go down and and buy something out of the white van on the corner store or uh, to go to those uh, flea markets or swap meets um, and grab that, you know, thousand watt amplifier for 40 bucks. Man, you're going to get what you pay for, trust me. And chances are it's not going to last very long. It's going to sound like crap and you're going to regret your purchase later. Um, and you know there's no warranty when you buy something out of the back of some guy's trunk. So go to a reputable store um, or do your research online and, and familiarize yourself with some of the names that are synonymous with quality in the industry. I can ramble off a few for you right now. Things like Sony, Rockford Fodskate, uh, Pioneer, uh, Kenwood, Infinity, JBL, you know, there's there's several others. Uh, head units, um, you know, Pioneer, Alpine, Kenwood, Sony. Those are the big four right there. Anything outside of that, you know, I might be a little bit more weary. And even those, some people have personal preferences as far as you know, sound choice and and stuff like that. I myself am a Pioneer fan. Uh, I personally believe that Pioneer head units sound a little bit better than others. Uh, but again, that's just my personal preference. Um, you may have yours, uh, your friend may have theirs, etc. Now, when it comes to amplifiers, let's say you've upgraded your deck, you've upgraded your speakers, you've got a set of separates up front, you've got a set of um, you know coaxials in the back, uh, something like that, or or you know even a um, a set of triaxles, uh, you know something like that, a, a higher end speaker. You got your speakers upgraded, you got your deck upgraded. It sounds great, but you've outgrown it. Um, and you want more to it. The addition of a subwoofer, a larger speaker, comes into mind. This is usually the, the, the next thing to happen in a system. Oftentimes people will just go straight from upgrading their deck to adding an amplifier and a subwoofer. Uh, you can't add a sub to a system without an amplifier. It's just how it works. There are amplified subwoofers out there. It's basically an enclosure that has an amplifier built into it. All you got to do is supply power and, uh, and signal to it and you're, you're off and running. These are great, especially for those who don't really want to rattle the windows or necessarily want to have the people in the car uh, feel what you're listening to. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, fill that cargo space up with 15-inch subwoofers if you so desire. 
uh, and I will definitely help you do that um, if you want some advice on on how to maximize uh, SPL uh, out of back of a Cherokee. But if you're ready to add a sub to your system, um, there's a few things you want to consider. Uh, subwoofer size, average volume level, uh, and what you're trying to gain out of the system. If you're going for an SPL monster, basically SPL sound pressure level, you know, you want the loudest system on the block. Um, you're going to need a lot of power and you're going to need many inches, lots of speaker, meaning a bigger subwoofer. If all you're looking for is low fill, and what that means is basically you want to fill that lower end of the audio spectrum with some, you know, decent quality sound. You don't necessarily need a thousand watts and you don't need a 15 or 18 inch sub. Probably don't even need a 12 inch sub. Honestly, I'm, I'm a big fan of 10 inch subs. They work great. They have a nice, tight, punchy sound to them. And in the right enclosure, they can definitely boom. So, uh, you know, a couple hundred watt, 150, 200 watt, 300 watt amp is more than enough, honestly, for, for most people. And will pack plenty of punch and have plenty of headroom if you decide to upgrade your, your subs later on. A single 10 inch sub is a plenty for, for most people. And it doesn't take up a lot of space because the enclosures for something like that, although there are several choices, uh, whether it be you know sealed or vented, ported, uh, or even bandpass, and we can go into that at another topic. But they they're relatively small, usually under two cubic feet at most, and that's that's actually on the on the large side. But you uh, you won't have to gain you won't have to give up much of your cargo space. Amplifier location is user preference. Uh, installer preference. Some people put it on the back of the back seat. Some people put it on the box. Some people try and shoehorn it underneath the seats, uh, underneath the front seats. Um, underneath the back seat is a popular option in the Cherokees. With the Infinity Gold system, the the high-end factory amplified system, that's where you would find the factory amplifier. It's where they put it is underneath the back seat. There's a, If you don't know already, lift up your back seat, you'll find a little cubby in there. So Think about think about that. Subwoofer choices, again, it comes down to model. Uh, go with something you're familiar with, something that you've heard about before. Um, don't want to buy that speaker off the back of the van. Uh, chances are the first time you rail that thing, um, it may blow. Blown speakers suck. They cost just about as much to replace as it does to repair, so don't even think about it. And, um, and good luck in your hunting. Uh, if you are looking at something specific, you want my professional opinion on it, I'll be more than happy to help you out. I did work in the mobile electronics field for over 10 years. Uh, I've seen just about everything there is to see as far as um, mobile audio goes. I've had installations featured in magazines. I've done multi-thousand dollar installs before. I've, I've, I've done it all. I've seen it all. And I've heard it all. And I'd be more than happy to help you, regardless of your budget, make sure that you're getting the, the most bang for your buck. Send me a private message through xjtalk.com. I am NW99XJ or feel free to reach out into the forums. Uh, I have a, a section dedicated for electrical and audio tips. It's called Electrical and Audio Tips. Uh, you can find it on the uh, forums main page on xjtalk.com. Feel free to post something in there. I'm relatively active and I'm usually pretty good about, uh, about getting to people's uh, questions and queries and uh, getting their questions answered relatively quickly. So if you got something you want to talk about, um, feel free to post it up. Uh, I'll be more than happy to help you out. The electrical and audio tip segment is intended for entertainment purposes only and not to be used as professional advice or as instructional guidance. Any attempts to use information provided in this segment are done at your own risk. Electrical and audio repair, troubleshooting, or installation is best left to trained and certified professionals.
Well, tonight we have an actual employee of the American Radio Relay League, one of uh, just a few. Uh, and I was, uh, as I was telling him, I think it must be a pretty, pretty good gig. Anyway, uh, if you're not familiar, the American Radio Relay League is the largest membership association of amateur radio enthusiasts in the USA. The ARRL is a nonprofit organization was founded in May of 1914 by Hiram Percy Maxim of Hartford, Connecticut. The ARRL represents the interest of amateur radio operators before federal regulatory bodies, provides technical advice and assistance to amateur radio enthusiasts, supports a number of educational programs, and sponsors emergency communication services throughout the country. The ARRL has approximately 154,000 members. In addition to the members in the U.S., the organization claims over 7,000 members in other countries. The ARRL publishes many books and a monthly membership journal called QST. The gentleman that we're speaking to tonight is Mike Corey, and his amateur radio call sign is KI1U. He is the Emergency Preparedness Manager with the ARRL. Mike, thanks for joining us, and uh, give us a little bit of idea who you are and what you do for the ARRL. Okay, thanks, Tony. Uh, glad to be on this evening. Um, well, I've been with the American Radio Relay League as an employee for about two and a half years now, and uh, I came on board uh, the staff, which we've got all together about 125 staff members at the headquarters building in Newington, Connecticut, plus uh, staff in, in a Washington, D.C. office as well. But uh, I came there after about 10 years in law enforcement. I uh, worked as a, uh, uh, as a reserve deputy in Indiana, a uh, communications officer in, in Indiana and Mississippi, and I was a law enforcement academy instructor uh, also in Mississippi. Uh, as far as my amateur radio background, I've been licensed for uh, t 24 years uh, as of uh, December this year, and um, I've been active in just about every aspect of, of, the, uh, of the amateur radio service uh, since I uh, passed my novice, uh, novice exam uh, uh, many years ago. In fact, uh, before, I even, uh, before I called in tonight, I was on 40 meters chasing DX on CW. <laughs> and, and for you guys, I know you don't know, DX basically means long-distance stuff. In other words, things that are not local uh, could be uh, halfway or even all the way around the world. And um, the, uh, uh, the CW is continuous wave, which is basically uh, Moore's code. Yep. So... Uh, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. Go go ahead. Go ahead. So, Mike, I was just going to uh, mention to the the listeners that the reason for you being here tonight is is that um, natural disasters uh, and even man made disasters are are occurring all the time, and they they occur without warning. And quite often, um, the people that have vehicles, like many of our members do, they have the ability either to get out of areas or get into areas to give assistance. So I'm. Being an amateur radio operator for many years, I know the benefit of having that license and also having the communications ability in my Jeep. And I wanted to uh, help introduce these members uh, of uh, XJTalk.com uh, to amateur radio and what they can use, how they could use uh, an amateur radio communication setup in their Jeep. So basically, I guess the, the most recent thing that has occurred is uh, Hurricane Sandy. And uh, I think you had some involvement in that, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, this is uh, the latest hurricane that I've had uh, some involvement with. Um, and the one thing we definitely see with, with every natural disaster, 
large or small. It could be anything from from uh, a hurricane to localized disasters such as a tornado or, um, well, in recent days uh, here in New England, uh, we got to experience a nor'easter, our first one of the year. Uh, the one thing that you, you have to, uh, you really have to recognize in this day and age, as much as we are dependent upon technology, is along with your plans on what you're going to do if, if something were to happen like that, you also have to have a communications plan. Uh, even FEMA says that uh, in, in their material, you can find it at ready.gov. You've got to have a, at least a three-day communications plan in case of an outage. Um, and, and also make it redundant. You know, don't re rely on one thing. And that's the great thing about amateur radio is it is a great backup means to communication if something were to happen. Uh, it is, uh, it's a licensed service. It's been around a long time, over 100 years. And it's not just something you pull off the shelf in an emergency. It's something you can enjoy uh, when during normal conditions. Uh, as they often say, during peacetime, you can, you can also uh, take a great deal of enjoyment out of it. Yeah, I think the the peacetime is uh, is quite interesting because uh, it's been a it's been a while since I was involved in any emergency communications. But that fog of war is is a, a lot like what happens during emergency because people are trying to communicate between groups. And uh, actually, back when I was doing it, it was uh, uh, it, the uh, it was prior to the '80s, and there were no cell phones. There was some mobile communication stuff, but if you wanted to to, to talk from a remote location. It was going to be landline or some sort of uh, uh, business, commercial, or amateur radio. So yeah, and, and that's one of the great things about amateur radio is that it was it was really in the forefront of of mobile communications technology. I can remember, and I'm sure you can too, of uh, at one point where you could use your two meter radio in your vehicle through an auto patch and access nine one one. You know, as you were driving down the road, if in case you happened to cross something. Absolutely. And, and actually, uh, being on uh, in the early 80s, <laughs> I, I think this is true because I don't remember having 911 back then. Uh, but anyway, you could actually use the phone patch uh, on the, the two meter repeater uh, if uh, and they call the police or, or fire or whatever. But it was there was no 911. You just had to call the <laughs> call the police. <laughs> so but it was it was very interesting. Uh, that whole idea of being able to, to be driving in your vehicle and talking to somebody on the phone. And, uh, of course, there was uh, also uh, the, the ability to do that through phone patches. I remember running phone patches for some missionaries down in uh, Central or South America uh, using my um, uh, my uh, Heathkit uh, HW101 uh, transceiver and the Heathkit auto patch. So I was actually able to uh, uh, connect people that didn't have access to phones or the international calls were so expensive that they were able to call people locally in Houston through my phone patch. I would actually call them, tell them what, uh, what I was going to, who, who was calling them. And then they would talk back and forth while I monitored the conversation. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. And, and they did the same for the military as well. Through exactly. Mars running phone patches. Uh, my grandfather did that between Vietnam and, and stateside, uh, uh, many years ago, and it's it's still done as well. In fact, I was listening to the MarsNet tonight uh, on on HF, and and they were doing a similar thing of passing traffic. And all these things that uh, that we're discussing here are are fun things to do, of course, but they are important means uh, important uh, lessons to know in uh, establishing communications between two parties. 
And that's kind of what we're talking about in, uh, in, in having emergency communications is the ability to relay information back and forth. Now, uh, you know, actually, I'm jumping off a little bit. That's how it used to be, Mike. Is that still how it is? Does the ARRL still, uh, are the members of uh, uh, the HAM community, do they still pass traffic back and forth? Oh, they do. It's, it's really, it's kind of, um, uh, it's kind of evolved over the years. Uh, it used to be the, uh, of course, most HAMs are familiar with things like the National Traffic System and a radiogram. Uh, we've talked about phone patches and auto patches and things like that. It, it has evolved over the years, and today, I know uh, during uh, Hurricane Gustav in 2008, uh, I was in Louisiana, and a, a, a high volume of, of emergency and priority traffic were, were relayed by hams uh, through a variety of, of uh, radio nets that were conducted on the HF frequencies, um, and they were an integral part of many of the emergency operation centers that were uh, stood up during, uh, to respond to, uh, to the hurricane. So, yeah, there's still quite a bit, and, of course, you know, it goes along with a lot of the other activities that uh, amateurs have been uh, involved with, uh, which we've kind of talked before uh, before we got online tonight uh, about the DXing and contesting, which, if you really think about it, that's passing traffic as well, which that would be a, a topic for another time. But, yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, an integral part of the amateur radio service still. Now, circling back to the Hurricane Sandy, uh, how did communications suffer during that storm? And I don't mean ham communication. I mean like cell and uh, landline and and so on and so on and so forth. Was that an issue with uh, Hurricane Sandy? Oh, definitely. And and it's really a case with any major hurricane. I, I did get plenty of reports of uh, especially cellular uh, telephone outages, which are, are very common during hurricanes. It doesn't really take a whole lot for cellular networks to become overloaded. Uh, a good example of that was, oh, I think it was about four or five years ago in Minneapolis, Minnesota, there was a bridge collapse there. And uh, there were so many people trying to report, uh, make the reports through 911 that it, it literally collapsed the, the 911 network in downtown Minneapolis for the day. So it doesn't take a whole lot for those systems to get overloaded. Of course, they're dependent upon towers to, to uh, relay the signals. Those towers require uh, commercial power or, or generator backups. Um, if commercial power fails, the generator backup is only good for so long before it starts failing. Um, and the, the one thing we particularly see in, during a hurricane is that first 72 hours after landfall is where you really see the communications disruption of uh, cellular networks, landline networks, conventional radio. That's another thing to keep in mind is uh, the the police dispatch uh, capability or the fire dispatch capability, they have a tower with an antenna on it, what we call a repeater somewhere. Uh, a lot of times high winds will cause those repeaters to fail. Uh, so, you know, you could see uh, diminished capability for public safety to respond uh, to calls. So, uh, yeah, definitely with Hurricane Sandy last year during Irene uh, and previous years with Ike and, of course, the... the uh, uh, the penultimate uh, hurricane of, of our time, Katrina, we definitely seen that. So uh, it not only, I mean, one of the, 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 the reasoning for getting into ham radio, which is really what this, this show is about uh, tonight, uh, this interview is about, is to, to help uh, show the members of XJ Talk why it would be in their best interest to be an amateur radio operator so they would have these communication capabilities. The, the idea is what could it do for them 
even if they're not going to be in the in the middle of passing traffic back and forth or perhaps uh, working CW contest or phone contests, just what could a uh, a two meter radio say, for example, in their Jeep uh, do for them in an emergency? Okay, uh, there's actually uh, several things I've been kind of jotting down some notes as we've gone on, uh, you know, what amateur radio can, uh, how it can enhance your your experience, uh, and or what it can provide to you uh, if you're off roading, uh, if you're, or just traveling uh, anywhere. You know, the first thing to keep in mind is we talked about networks, communications networks, such as the cellular network. If these networks go down. Uh, you have to have a backup plan. You, you know, that's kind of the golden rule of life. Always have a backup plan. Uh, by having amateur radio capability with you, you have access to an amazing network. You know, in the United States, there are over 700,000 licensed amateur radio operators. There's close to 2.5 million, I think, worldwide. Um, this is a network that is, it's a, a spread out network. It is not dependent on a on a, an infrastructure to, to maintain it. So this gives you a, a complete network where you could, uh, you could put in a call for help. A good example of this, uh, many years ago, about 20 years ago, I was traveling in northern Ontario and coming back through the uh, upper peninsula of Michigan and got into a car accident. This was before uh, cellular phones were even available. It was in a very rural area, so there were no pay phones available. There were no houses nearby or businesses or anything like that. And uh, fortunately, the accident was minor, but we did need to notify uh, uh, some family members, and we, of course, we needed to notify the police. Uh, by getting on uh, amateur radio, I was able to make contact with another ham radio operator who was 550 miles from where I was at. He was in Thunder Bay, Ontario, and he was able, through his, his own home phone, to make the phone calls for us. He was able to call Michigan State Police, get them on the way, call family members, let everybody know what had happened, that everyone's all right. So, you know, and this, and despite cellular technology and, and uh, texting and everything else, this network is still available to you. And those other networks, while, yes, 99% of the time, they're going to work fine. You still have to have that backup plan just in case they fail. You know, you, you could look at it as if you're in your vehicle during, you know, on an average day, you're probably not going to need to rely on amateur radio you face natural disaster, you're off-roading in an area that does not have um, a communications infrastructure, if, particularly if you're out west in the, you know, in the Rocky Mountains, that's a definite possibility. Um, so this gives you one, uh, you know, an added network uh, in, your, in your toolbox, uh, so, you, so you've got that at your disposal. And uh, if, you're, if you have ever talked on a cell phone, which of course you have, uh, two meters is much like that, with, with the exception of it's a uh, like a half duplex uh, operation, which I probably just lost a bunch of you guys, where you can only transmit or receive. You can't do both at the same time. Well, I guess you can in in special cases, but we're not going to go into that that level of detail on this. So right. it's a it's a uh, you talk. It goes the signal goes through a repeater, which basically it does. The repeater does exactly what its name implies. It takes your signal and repeats it out from a much higher and more powerful position. And it uh, the range your range from your your Jeep uh, now becomes instead of being uh, five miles, it becomes thirty or forty or fifty. Right, and then and aside from that, you can you also have the capability to talk without a repeater using what they call simplex, uh, a single frequency between two points. So let's say if you had two Jeeps, 
uh, traveling it, maybe doing off-roading in the same area, you could communicate between the two uh, without going through a repeater and, uh, and, and be just fine. And yeah, the, the best way I heard it described on what half duplex is like, it's push to talk, release to listen. <laughs> exactly. And, and the point that I was going to make about the cell phone is the cell phone is reliant on that cell, uh, that cell tower, that cell station. And that cell station operates much like a repeater does, uh, where a repeater operates on a couple of uh, different frequencies. The, the cell site actually operates on a multitude of frequencies, co- constantly switching depending on the traffic levels. And uh, it's interconnected with the other cell sites, sometimes th- through landlines, uh, et cetera. So it's a very intricate, uh, complex network that is susceptible to uh, failure. Whereas, just like uh, Mike said, with your two-meter radio, you can switch off, the, uh, switch off from the repeater and talk directly to somebody. When the cell tower doesn't work, the one that you're closest to, the phone is just a uh, glorified flashlight because it's not going to do, well, you can play games on it, (laughs) but as you can use it as a flashlight. Yes. (laughs) There was some movie that I saw that in. It was brilliant. Everybody was walking with their, with their cell phones in a, in a tunnel. I think (laughs) I can't remember the name. I think that was a uh, Sylvester Stallone movie, but anyway, uh, it's just, it's just a very expensive flashlight at that point. And, and that is the beauty of having the ability not only to have the equipment that you can do things, but having the knowledge of knowing how things work and being able to do things that the majority of the public can't do and getting information when, it, when a hurricane, uh, I'm sorry, any emergency that's going on, getting inf- information, just, just the ability to gather information uh, is going to uh, perhaps save your life. So uh, I, I think it's a great idea for, for all you guys to be involved in it. And nowadays you don't even have to learn Morse code to get the license. Right. Yeah. The uh, code requirement was dropped, um, uh, a few years back and, uh, uh, you know, getting the amateur radio license now is as easy as contacting your, your local amateur radio club. Uh, the ARL can assist you with uh, locating that and also with, uh, some guidance on, on equipment. Yep, and I'm hoping to get, uh, there was actually a, a couple of, uh, the ARRL was good enough to respond back to me w- when I requested for uh, uh, an interview for the uh, the podcast, and I was interested in two areas. I was interested in emergency communications, and I was interested in how to get licensed, um, and and uh, fortunately, uh, they were able to, to connect me up with two people. We just got Mike on here first, so you guys will be hearing more about how to become a, a licensed amateur radio operator. And believe you me, it has changed a lot since when I I was uh, 16 years old and I had to go find an amateur radio operator to give me the test because that's the way it worked. Back then, any uh, I think it was any general or above uh, licensed uh, ham could give a novice exam and you would actually go to their house. And uh, it was kind of cool because then you you knew a ham and you you knew somebody that could help you along and ask questions uh, too. So I, uh, I actually went, rode around and, and saw this huge antenna system and went up and knocked on the guy's door and said, uh, hey, I'm interested in being a ham. Can you give me the test? And the guy was happy to. And we set a time and, and uh, I went over there and took the test. Well, that's not the way it works anymore. There's, uh, um, you know, I know a little bit about it. Uh, there's uh, 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 VE sessions that you can go to and uh, take the test with a, with a group of other people. And uh, sometimes uh, it's friends that get 
uh, all together and go as a group. So there's many ways uh, that you can uh, go about doing it, but the important thing is to get licensed and get used to that radio before you need it. Yeah, and uh, you know I can add to that. You know the local clubs, and there there are well over uh, 2,500 ARL affiliated clubs in the United States. So uh, a club is not that far from you. Um, they can they can provide a, a tremendous amount of assistance in getting you licensed. Many offer licensed classes, so you don't have to go in just uh, completely cold or only having referred to a book. Um, the uh, the term that amateur radio operators use uh, for mentoring is Elmering. Right. Uh, like many terms in amateur radio, we don't know where it came from. <laughs> and, they're, and, they're, and they're damn strange is what they are. I was yeah. going to say, you know, I found an Elmer to give me a test, and I went, now these guys are going to think I'm talking about glue. So <laughs> I'm not, not yeah. going to put that and, out there. And, you know, the, the great thing about it is amateur radio is definitely one of those areas where you just, the, the, um, the opportunities to learn, uh, expand your knowledge base is just immense. You know, I, I always tell a story of about a year ago, uh, I got into a new area of amateur radio that I'd never tried before. Amateurs have actually uh, uh, put their own satellites in orbit. Uh, in fact, it was one of the first non-government satellites to go into orbit in the early 60s was an amateur radio satellite, and they're, they're still in orbit today. Uh, a year ago, I tried uh, to contact another amateur through one of these satellites. That's the first time I've tried it, and I truly felt like a novice all over again. It was, it was amazing, and I've, learned, I've, I've really learned a lot because of branching out and looking into another area of the hobby. It's And that's the exciting, really exciting thing about amateur radio. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to know all there is to know about it. You can just uh, get a license, uh, get a two-meter radio, and uh, just talk on that if you want to. Just have it available for emergency communications. But but the sky is really the limit. And and the, the thing Mike didn't mention about getting the satellite up was it was fairly easy to do because there are so many hams in NASA. <laughs> 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 so there's a, a lot of the, and a lot of the astronauts are hams or they become hams so they can operate the amateur radio uh, station aboard the uh, International Space Station. Yeah, and in fact now I think uh, all astronauts going to the space station are required to, to get their, uh, their amateur radio license because they, they do this as part of an education program with, uh, with schools uh, around the world. In fact, I was just listening uh, last week, they were the astronauts were speaking with uh, school kids in Australia as they were going overhead. So were there any interesting things that uh, happened during Sandy that uh, you can share with us? Well, I think um, one of the, two of the interesting, um, interesting things that I really noticed, um, one is what could have been a logistical nightmare for, uh, for amateur radio. Um, uh, Tony, as you know, we've got uh, contests throughout the year where amateurs compete against one another, try to make as many contacts as they can in a, in a defined period of time, usually 24 to 48 hours. Right. Well, the largest on-air event of the year is an event called CQ Worldwide Phone Contest. Uh, in other words, a voice uh, communications contest. And it was held the weekend just before Sandy made landfall. Uh, this presented some unique challenges because amateur radio operators are, you know, we, we can't look at it. This is just a United States thing. In fact, Sandy first impacted the Caribbean, particularly Cuba, got very hard hit by this. So amateur radio operators in Cuba, uh, the Bahamas, and at the National Hurricane Center in Miami, Florida, were actively on the air assisting with communications, 
days before it made landfall in, in the Northeast. And uh, the contest uh, that was going on presented a definite challenge to the guys that were, were providing those communications. Now, one of the fortunate things is amateur radio operators have also been uh, a, a key developer of voice over internet protocol, much like Skype we're using now. And they were able to fall back on that as a means of communication in response to Sandy. Uh, the other thing that I noticed was um, when, uh, when the hurricane was uh, working its way up the, towards uh, the northeast, uh, I was in touch with amateurs in, in the uh, path of the storm. And one of the things that the league has at its disposal is a cache of equipment that can go out during major disasters like this. So if uh, local amateur radio operators uh, may not have enough equipment to provide the communications for what we call served agencies like the Red Cross or local emergency management or the National Weather Service, we can send this gear out uh, ahead of time. And uh, in the days leading up to landfall, no requests, no requests, and then the morning of landfall, we get a request from New Jersey for some equipment to go down there. But at this point, all highways are shut down, airports are shut down, and uh, very fortunately, an organization that, um, is, uh, that we work with at the national level uh, that does disaster response, a group called Nahama, which is the Jewish response to disaster, uh, one of their representatives just happened to be five miles from my office. So... <laughs> Uh, he said, well, I've got a pickup truck and I'm heading to New Jersey. What do you need? So we loaded <laughs> his truck full of radio gear. And in the, uh, in the aftermath of landfall, while the winds are still blowing, he, uh, he made the trip to southern New Jersey to deliver this equipment. And it was, uh, uh, he sent me a text message when he got there. And he said, that was the wildest ride I think I've been on in quite a while. <laughs> That's amazing. I can't believe they would wait that long to make the request. But I guess, uh, you know, in, in the, the fog of war, uh, those things happen. Yeah. And, you know, it really, uh, in both cases, uh, or in both those stories, there were really some definite lessons for us. You know, you can never, you can never overestimate your, uh, your level of preparedness. You know, um, it's, you know, the old adage, it, it's better to have it than, and not need it than need it and not have it. Exactly. Um, you know, definitely take preparedness seriously. You know, communications, what we're talking about tonight is just one area, and there's so many other areas. The other thing that we often overlook with a disaster is that disasters are completely oblivious to uh, geographical, political boundaries, nationality, and everything else. Um, yeah, I got some, uh, I, I received an email from a ham in Cuba, and the level of destruction there was just amazing. You know, storm doesn't care what your nationality is, it can affect you just the same. And the other thing is, uh, during a disaster, don't underestimate your networks. You never know who may be able to come to your assistance. And that's one of the great things about amateur radio is, like I said earlier, uh, with, the, with the car accident in Michigan, you know, I did not expect that the person that would be the one answering the call for, you know, call for help was 550 miles away in another country, but was calling the local police. And just the same with, with Sandy is, uh, you know, somebody that was not an amateur radio operator, just happened to be in the area was able to provide assistance to us when we needed it. So there's definitely a lot of lessons learned. And, and you know, I've, I'm always a proponent, you know, lessons learned are one thing, lessons applied is something else. And, uh, you know, we definitely got some great uh, uh, lessons we took away from this. Yeah, and guys, <clears throat> the way I look at it is this. You can uh, be one of the hundreds, thousands, or even millions that has to wait in line 
to either get information or get information to somebody or get help. Or you can be one of the hundred that's able to help yourself. And that's what we're talking about with ham radio. Get, get involved with amateur radio, get a license, get a radio, and be one that not only helps yourself, but you can also help others. And, and Tony, there's another thought that occurred to me, uh, and kind of bringing it back to the, uh, I guess, the, uh, the overall topic at hand is uh, amateur radio and how it can be utilized for, for Jeep users. There's, there's actually another area of amateur radio that uh, is, has got a, a very large following in the United States, and it's an area called grid chasing. Uh, and I'll try to very quickly describe this, but uh, the United, well, the world completely is divided up into what they call maidenhead grid squares. It's one degree by two degree grid square. And the idea for amateur radio operators is you try to make contact with as many of those grid squares as you possibly can. Uh, we have a process where you can get a confirmation of that contact called a QSL card. And uh, there, there's actually an award that you can get for, for 100 of these. And, you know, those interested in off-roading, this is kind of a unique area for them because there's a lot of those grids that are not accessible through any <laughs> yeah. major road. That's true. I didn't think about that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and, when and, he, and when he says grid squares, he's literally talking about squares on a map. And they are, it, it's just, they're numbered, aren't they? Or do they, uh, I forget right. exactly. Yeah, uh, the, the numbering system, it actually extends out 10 digits. But for, for all intents and purposes, it's a four-digit grid square. So like Connecticut, for the most part, uh, the size of a grid, Connecticut is about the size of one grid. Um, so it's, uh, the grid is uh, here is FN, Fox November, 3-1. Um, and then there's, uh, the first number is what they call a field. So it's this larger number, uh, or numbering structure. And then you got a, the digits after that for the actual grids. So, um, yeah, out West, there's actually some very rare grids because there's nobody that lives there. There's no major roads and, uh, they're, they're a prime spot to, uh, to set up. And, you know, the one thing about doing expeditions like this, uh, in fact, I just, I just did one last month in California near uh, Santa Cruz uh, with with our contest branch manager. It actually helps out your skills when you're when you're thinking about uh, emergency preparedness because if you go out to say one of these a really rare grid say in um, north central Montana, you've got to you have to go out to the grid, be prepared to uh, be sustain uh, self sustainable on water, food, uh, power. Um, and of course, with amateur radio equipment, you can draw your power off off of a 12 volt 12 volt source such as your battery. And of course, you have your radio and antennas, so you can get on the air. You can uh, let people make contact with that uh, rare grid. But you're also learning some station building skills, some preparedness skills, troubleshooting. Because I guarantee it's just like anything else. Murphy always shows up when you least expect <laughs> yes. it, even in amateur radio. Murphy is the only constant. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's something that, uh, the one thing I always stress is amateur radio is great for emergency preparedness, but it, it's, it's a fun hobby. You can have a lot of fun with it. It has a lot of different avenues you can go down. And I always say, whatever your gateway into amateur radio is, if it's emergency preparedness, great. Whatever your gateway is, uh, get in the gate and then move past it and see what, see what other rooms there are in the house. Exactly. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the uh, amateur radio service really was envisioned or, or sold <laughs> to the federal government as a emergency communications uh, uh, outfit. Uh, 
And uh, that is the, the whole idea behind field day uh, every summer where a, a group of amateurs, usually in a club, doesn't have to be, goes out and sets up and is totally self-sufficient. Battery or generators or whatever puts up the antennas. And it's a contest. You see how many contacts you can make. But it is just uh, a, a drill, so to speak, of a, um, an emergency situation. So really that's what amateur radio is. And the hobby part of it is kind of the side benefit. Well, yeah, and the uh, the part of the federal regulations that deal with amateur radio is the FCC Part 97 of, of uh, the regulations. And 97.1 uh, lays it out, you know, and, and we have, there's several aspects to amateur radio. While not primarily an emergency communication service, we can benefit emergency communications when those normal means go down or, or, they, or they become overloaded. And we're also, you know, the other areas of amateur radio that they specifically point out, you know, technological advancement, um, you know, improving the communications art. Uh, and, and as I mentioned before, promoting international goodwill. Amateur radio is definitely an, an international uh, hobby. And, um, you know, I, recently I was in uh, the Azores on an expedition there with a team of operators from about nine different countries. And one guy said, I'll never forget the, the way he phrased this. He says, he goes, never forget, a f you know, in amateur radio, friendship is only a call sign away. You know, you automatically, with that call sign, you have a link to millions of other amateur radio operators all over the world. Oh, it's a fraternity. I mean, it's it's yes. a, a fairly unique um, uh, club that you're a member of whenever you uh, go through the trouble of getting the license and uh, learning how to be an amateur radio operator. And, and you know, it's it's kind of funny because that's one of the things that I have enjoyed a lot about having the uh, the website xjtalk.com. Um, there's a, there's Jeeps that have, Jeep Cherokees that have been built and sold all over the world. And we have members from England. We have members in Germany. We have uh, people in South America. So, it's a lot the same way, uh, the same feeling I had about being an amateur radio operator. That there's, it's a, it's a worldwide hobby, and as is our our Jeep hobby. So, it's really cool. So, if you guys, you guys can identify with, uh, you know, the Jeep wave. We have this deal when you see another Jeep, you're supposed to wave at them, and and there's this whole uh, conversation about, well, I don't wave if the Jeep isn't lifted and has big tires. We call it being built up. <laughs> if it's just a stock, if it's just a stock Jeep, we don't wave at them unless they wave, you know, we don't be snobs, but, uh, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's a fraternity just like ham radio. So it's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's very interesting. And, uh, I encourage everybody to at least look into it and we'll be bringing more information here on, uh, the XJ talk show. Yep. Well, Mike, and, I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah. I was actually, you kind of reminded me of, uh, with that, uh, story about, uh, when Jeep owners meet, you know, it used to be uh, as amateur radio operators would see each other uh, passing by in traffic, uh, we would do a similar thing. One person would honk out C and the other person would honk out Q, you know, so da 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 which is the amateur radio term for calling anyone. Right. That's interesting. <laughs> see, on a recent show, uh, I was uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, saying that I think the show's getting so popular, and since I have uh, the xjtalk.com big logos on the side of my Jeep, that uh, people are st starting to honk at me because I'm a celebrity, but I also have a nice big whip on there. Maybe they were sending me CQ and I've just been out of uh, Morse code so long. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, and that's the other thing guys. 
I think this is nationwide, certainly in the state of Texas, you can get your call sign as your license plate. So I actually have call sign license plates on my Jeep. And I've actually been asked by a few people because they look unusual. They don't look like your everyday uh, license. And and the reason why, at least here in Texas, they do that is so that uh, officials, law enforcement and, and, and whatnot, n- can identify you as a, a person that has uh, communication capability. And they will put you into service. So, in fact, you can't have uh, the, uh, the call sign tags in Texas unless you have a radio in your vehicle. So anyway, Mike, I, I want to thank you very much for being on the show tonight. Hopefully we can get you back uh, in the future because uh, 30 minutes never is enough to cover uh, all the uh, all the things that we possibly could have uh, spoken about, about emergency uh, preparedness and uh, amateur radio communications. But uh, I do want to thank you very much for being here tonight. And uh, is there, I don't know if, you, if you're into the Twitter and Facebook thing, is, uh, is there a way people can contact you if, uh, if they would uh, like to get more information from you? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks for having me tonight. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'd be glad to uh, uh, come back again. Uh, yeah, a few different ways to uh, to reach either uh, myself or somebody at the American Radio Relay League. Our website is www.arrl.org. And um, if you're interested in the emergency communication side, we have a Twitter feed, which is uh, twitter.com slash arrl underscore MCOM, E-M-C-O-M-M. Uh, so A-R-R-L underscore MCOM is our Twitter feed. And uh, if you want, you can reach, uh, reach me at, uh, via email at ki1u at A-R-R-L dot O-R-G, ki1u at A-R-R-L dot O-R-G. Or you're uh, welcome to call the league if you, uh, if you have any questions. Uh, we have staff, uh, staff members dedicated to about every facet of amateur radio uh, you can reach us at area code 860-594-0200, 860-594-0200. And I'll, I'll put all this information in the show notes, uh, guys, so in case you're uh, rewinding the podcast so you can write all that stuff down, I'll, uh, I'll put it in the notes and then you'll best be able to see it, which uh, I think we all like better than having to listen and write. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I was wrapping this thing up, but you you mentioned something, and then it it, it popped in my head. Skywarn. Uh, do you yeah. are you from are you uh, part of the Skywarn uh, uh, system? I'm I'm reasonably familiar with it. I actually wrote a book on the subject. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you can be snooty if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mean to come across that way, but uh, no. yeah, I'm, I, I am familiar with it. And uh, yeah, you know, it's been one of the great. Uh, one of the great relationships for amateur radio over the years. Amateur radio and Skywarn have gone back uh, almost uh, 45 years since Skywarn's very beginning in the late 60s, early 70s. And it really, uh, the success comes on, on, on two factors, well, really three factors. One is the amateur radio network. That with all these amateur radio licensees, that gives the National Weather Service an extra set of eyes in the field, uh, whether it be from folks at home, uh, folks in their vehicles, folks at work, um, it just gives them that one added level, which goes into the next benefit is when you look at radar, uh, when the radar beam goes out, there's a blind spot, and that's what's happening at the ground level, and that's really the important stuff because that's what... <laughs> that's where the that's people where, are. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the weather we actually get to encounter. So 
having uh, getting that feedback from folks uh, that are experiencing the weather as as it happens has been a, a huge benefit. And the other the other side to it is amateur radio has not only been a benefit to the National Weather Service mission out in the field. Amateur radio has been very successfully integrated into the weather forecast offices. There's about 121 forecast offices throughout the United States. Most of them have an amateur radio station right there. So if for some reason, if they need, uh, very rarely are they going to completely lose communications, but if they need supplemental communications to reach out to another forecast office, to a state emergency operations center, uh, or something like that. They've got amateur radio there as well. So it's it's been a, a great combination, and I know a lot of hams that have, have gotten their license because of Skywarn. They've, they've wanted to get involved, and it is just one of those great relationships, um, and it really comes from a mutual respect between the amateur radio community and the National Weather Service. So if you're in Tornado Alley, like we're kind of in the tail end of it here in Houston, um, it's, uh, it's fairly significant because even if you're not out running around reporting on the weather, uh, reporting on, uh, um, eye walls, not eye walls, uh, wall clouds and, uh, funnels that uh, haven't touched down yet, <clears throat> you can listen and you can hear what's going on. You can listen real time and hear what the, the reporters, uh, are, are feeding the, uh, sky worn system. And, uh, I, you know, I haven't done this in, in, in many years, but basically I believe uh, what it amounts to is uh, a repeater frequency or maybe two where the Skywarn uh, office is coordinating with the uh, people in the field that are reporting uh, the, uh, the weather conditions. And it doesn't just have to be tor- uh, tornadoes. That's just what the part that I know about. I'm sure it could be winter weather. I'm sure it could be hurricane stuff. So uh, it's another interesting aspect of amateur radio that you can be a part of or move remove the veil back and see what's going on behind the curtain yeah and the um the great thing is is it's a um it's an area of amateur radio emergency communications uh interest that it, depending on your part of the country you could you could easily spend a lot of a lot of your time involved with this you know i grew up in the midwest uh at the tail end of tornado uh, of tornado alley uh, of course, Hurricanes on the Gulf Coast, there's another amateur radio group that actually works with the National Hurricane Center in Miami, and they handle uh, hurricane reports. Um, it's, it really is just a, a fascinating area. And it, yeah, even if you're not interested in sending in reports, and, and the National Weather Service, uh, through their Skywarn training, which is freely available, uh, contact your local National Weather Service forecast office, and they can tell you what the uh, training schedule is. Uh, they do look for certain criteria for reports. But at the same time, you can monitor your your local Skywarn net, and you can you can take in the information from there. And yeah, I I, I got to put in the plug for it. if you're interested uh, in reading more about it uh, through the ARRL. There's a book available, uh, Amateur Radio and Storm Spotting, and it gives both the operator's perspective of being uh, involved with Skywarn as well as a little meteorological background. I had a co-author, uh, Vic Morris, AH6WX in Hawaii. Uh, Vic is a great guy and a uh, uh, has a background background professionally as a meteorologist and uh, also taught uh, taught the subject at the university level. So he really does uh, provide some great uh, great scientific background uh, to what you're reading as well. No, that's great, man. Plug away. I, I should have told you that to start with. We're not uh, high on ceremony here, so uh, whatever is the the best thing for the uh, for the members to hear, that's great with me. So. 
All right. Well, man, look, I've, I've held you a lot longer than what I had planned, but uh, a lot of good information. I wish I had thought about the Skywarn uh, before because uh, that's very interesting. It's almost like being a volunteer fire, fire, uh, fire department person, but instead of fighting fires, you're out there warning of uh, potential weather situations that can be uh, devastating to more than just a house. It can be devastating to a lot of houses. So if uh, you like the volunteer fire department thing, man, the Skywarn would be a natural for you. Yeah, definitely. Mike, thanks a lot. And uh, again, hope to have you on uh, here real soon. And hopefully things will be calm here for a while and you won't have to uh, 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 it be uh, invoked, enabled. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully so. I'm hoping for a nice, quiet uh, holiday season. And uh, I do appreciate you having me on. It's, it's been, been a pleasure. Well, another great show, even if I do say so myself. I want to thank Josh for uh, the uh, lengthy conversation. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. Please uh, give me some feedback. Give us some feedback on uh, how you like that. Uh, we can always cut it back. Uh, we can always try to make it more interesting, but, you know, we are who we are. And uh, I may take my wife's advice and uh, do less talking next time. <laughs> Let Josh talk more. I kind of noticed I was, uh, I was uh, overwhelming uh, the conversation there a few times. Really want to thank uh, Mike Corey, uh, K-I-1-U, uh, with uh, the A-R-R-L to, uh, that was uh, here doing uh, an interview with us uh, tonight. And uh, again, uh, thanks to Josh for his electrical and audio tips. And of course, for his co-hosting. So uh, guys, I hope that you're enjoying the show. I hope it's not just too damn long uh, for you to sit listen to. Um, I promise this will be the last time that I complain about the show being long. Uh, it's, I'm going to leave it up to you to make sure that I know that it's too long, too short, uh, etc. Man, it sounds like my whole dating life. Anyway, till next week, you guys uh, hang tight and oh, let's get ready for Thanksgiving. Get ready for Turkey Day. <laughs>